Um, I think a motto that I came up with is, is I could be broke anywhere. You know, like you can be broke in your hometown. You can move to a dream destination and be broke there, you know, but if you have a vision for, you know, or a direction that you're chasing, I think a lot of times people look at it financially first and say, this is impossible. And it may be at first like to thrive, but I think sometimes surviving is thriving, I guess, depending on what your perception is. Like <laughs> if I'm if I'm getting by and my kids are fed and my wife's happy um, and I'm doing what I love and I'm creating something cool and something that blesses other people and myself, I think that's that's thriving in my mind. Hey, guys, this is Hunter Levine. And thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective podcast brought to you by Skinny Water Culture. Turtle Box Audio, Florida Fishing Products, Costa Sunglasses, and Orvis Fly Fishing. Over the past several years, I've interviewed nearly 100 various fishing captains and industry leaders, and today's guest is definitely one of my favorites that I've came across so far. Jesse Mails is a content creator, fly tire, and operator of an amazing fishing operation in Costa Rica, where he focuses primarily on tarpon in the deep dark waters, but also plays with various jungle fish and other offshore species. In this podcast, Jesse dives into not only some helpful tactics on fishing, but his overall outlook on life and how he went from being a Domino's pizza guy to a well-traveled and versed angler. Jesse shares about our need to be able to slow down in life, the choice of contentment, and the importance of mental toughness, as well as some helpful insight on targeting fish and growing in your craft. We hope that you enjoy our time together. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet and it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go and sometimes just that quiet space is is what we need and especially in this day and age you have a fly rod in your hand it's this tool that takes you to beautiful places you meet hopefully wonderful people and it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure when the fish is coming that shot within a shot that timer start beep beep No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. All right, hey Jesse, thanks so much uh, for hanging out today. Had a great day on the water with you. Now we're sitting down by the water here, enjoying some drinks and getting ready to grill some hamburgers and put a nice end on a on a great day but i'm excited just to sit down and have you on the podcast yeah totally man i really appreciate you having me over here and showing me around this area i've never been up here before so i'm stoked yeah so you know one of the things that i think is really really cool about you is kind of just how you got into this industry and how you got into fishing will you just give us that background and that bio of of really where all this began for you yeah definitely man i mean i'm my family my, my dad taught me how to fish when i was really young and my grandfather was a fisherman uh, from Cuba, fished all over the place uh, with him. And he kind of settled in Florida, which is where pretty much both my families are kind of from, my immediate families. 
So I grew up fishing Florida, man, bass, inshore saltwater. And then it really wasn't until post-college, really, um, right around the time I got married, actually, that I started fly fishing heavy mm-hmm. and kind of, like, set the spinning rods down, you know, because, like, you go out on the boat with the fly rod and a spinning rod, it's hard not to pick up the spinning rod sometimes. Yeah. And kind of, like... I remember doing a canoe trip with my cousin, and he broke my last spinning rod. And I was like, that is it. I am not buying another one. And I didn't. And I just, even to this day, like, we have some for the guiding business and things in Costa Rica, which we'll get to. But, you know, I, I just went straight fly fishing um, probably 10 years ago now, 11 years ago now. And uh, it was probably the best thing I ever did, really, because it kind of forced me to learn how to cast in the wind like we were doing today and uh, really be able to put it on the button. So you got into fly fishing, just kind of, kind of stumbled in it on your own, and was doing mostly canoe stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I've always fished off paddle crafts pretty much my whole life. A um, lot of river stuff, lake stuff, with my dad growing up for bass, and then I remember my dad had a fly rod when I was young. I think like eight or or nine, maybe he taught me how to fly cast, mm-hmm. kind of in the backyard for a second, and then. I think I caught a few bass and bluegill on it and then was just like, that's it. There's no, nothing more to do with this thing except trout. And I think he had, he did have like a VHS tape of people catching like salmon or something that I would watch like religiously <laughs> as a kid, you know? And, and that was it really until I started seeing people catching redfish and catching saltwater stuff. And that really got me interested in what could you do with these things? Mm-hmm. And I, I bought a five weight, I think from Bass Pro and then, paddled my kayak around Indian River Lagoon system <laughs> catching everything I could on my five weight for years yeah was there like a moment for you where it went from just being something that you loved as a kid to something that you felt like wow I want to orient my life around this what did that look like man definitely it definitely did early on too and I didn't know anyone that fly fished when I started fly fishing but I knew it was something that started taking a lot of my creative kind of flow like I always was a creative person drawing painting that type of thing and just overall thought process have always been orientated in a creative way Mm. and when i started fly fishing i assumed that people tied their own flies i didn't know people bought flies like i really just started fly tying right away and so that kind of took all my creative thought and then i was already addicted to fishing because i grew up doing it and the fact that i could kind of make my own lure essentially or fly and go out and feed it to a fish just changed everything for me and I knew I was like something's gonna happen with this and at the time I was managing pizza restaurants Domino's pizza restaurants in Orlando <laughs> one of the actually the second busiest <laughs> store in the southeast shouts out <laughs> yeah and uh I quit that like almost immediately uh went and started working at a an outdoor store in Altamont Springs and and just didn't look back I was like I'm gonna make it in outdoor industry one way or another so tell me about from quitting Domino's and losing your employee discount code and all that. Yeah, it sucked. A lot <laughs> um, of pizza consumption for sure. <laughs> and to getting to where you're running an operation out of Costa Rica and you're mm. doing your own professional fly time. Walk me through kind of your your progression as a professional in the industry. It, it all kicked off while I was in Costa Rica. So like the move to Costa Rica, you know, we talked like most of my decisions are are faith-based you know I felt like that's what God had for me and I went down there and not having a good plan um and I was tying flies because me and my buddy we were like if we're gonna be down here we're gonna fish and and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of 
we were just looking at Google Earth and driving the truck places and trying to see what was going on. And all we had was like this beat up kayak. We'd launch it in these crocodile infested rivers and all this. <laughs> Some that we found out we should never go back to because there's so many crocs in. It's like a little but, top water for Dude, them. it was like top water. <laughs> yeah, it was like a spook. And uh, I was tying flies one day at the house and my friend was like, hey man, you should sell these this fly. Like This is a sick fly. And I was thinking, you know, no one wants to buy these flies, dude. Like, no, I'm down here in Costa Rica. We're trying to figure other stuff out. Mm. I'm selling flies isn't my bag of tricks right now. Um, but I was wrong about that for sure because I was like, you know, just to humor you, like, I'll tie up some. And I think that's when I really started the Instagram and the Facebook uh, backwater fly fishing thing. And I posted a few fly photos on there, and people went nuts over them. Mm. And then... I was like, wow, maybe I can sell these. And I started selling flies, um, a lot of flies. I, I pretty much supported my family for two full years just selling flies, like wow. thousands of them. And it was like, <laughs> wow, people buy these things, you know? And that's really the entry was, was fly tying. And that's a huge passion and still a huge thing that my business runs on. I still do custom. I have custom fly orders I got to tie when I get home, you know? It's... um. It'll always be a part of it, and then and then fly instruction. Like I started doing a lot of YouTube tutorials and you know that type of thing. And still, fly photography is something I still you know super interested in. So yeah, and, and I got a lot of questions kind of around the media side, but with the Costa Rica thing, so you go from okay, you're working at Domino's, <laughs> you start tying flies, yeah. Um, you're I mean, mar- Central you're America. married somewhere in there. Yeah, I get married somewhere in there. Right. Um, and talk to me about kind of the move down to Costa Rica and, and what that looked like and kind of what, what the operation looks like whenever you guys kind of really got it off the ground. Yeah. So what ended up happening was we were I started the the Instagram, Facebook, YouTube stuff, and I'm trying to figure out media and stuff because I don't I never knew anyone that took photos or did video. So I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And it sort of got to where after a few years, we, we had so many people just seeing the videos and and asking us, hey, man, are you guiding? Like, who, who are you, how are you doing this stuff? And and it was never intentional to, to start a guiding company, mm-hmm. but it just became the natural next step because we had so many people asking us that it just made sense to be like, you know, we should, we found a lot of cool places that before other people weren't going like there's still places we guide and go that other people don't you know and that's really cool like when i think about it you mm-hmm. know we, we we didn't pioneer anything per se but we've opened up areas that previously weren't guided and which is really really neat um whereas you know florida is like the oversaturated fishing <laughs> capital of the world so that that was a good feeling and um so we started the guiding company and, and sort of simultaneously started doing freelance media for people because it was you know, people started asking like, Hey, who's taking all these photos? Who's, who's shooting this video? And, and that opened up doors to start freelancing more. And, uh, yeah, it's a big part of what I do now. Definitely. It's a big part of my income is, is freelance media work. Yeah. And the way that I, I heard about you and found out about you was through Vince and through court. And so Vince, uh, Stagura from Skitty Water Culture, he's always given me like yeah, good yeah. Rex. Yeah, know, just, he's a good buddy. He's, for sure. he's like the most gifted guy. Now oh, I know. And everyone him. likes Vince. Yeah, and like finding <laughs> good people. Yeah. And um and so Vince had kind of put you on my on my radar, and then I was talking with Court, and Court was like telling me about how he was going to go down to Costa Rica, and he was doing this trip with you guys, mm-hmm. and I was really intrigued by the whole scenario of 
chasing tarpon in this darker water. Can you just give us an overview of like kind of what's your your go to fishing in Costa Rica and what people can expect? Definitely, yeah. I mean, we the guiding company we run, we we do coast to coast. You know, we have the Caribbean side and we have the Pacific side, and that opens up a lot of opportunities for different saltwater species and then everything in between, like a bunch of jungle rivers and things that we could fish. But the the big thing right now is definitely going to be um, our tarpon fishery that, that we're really pumped to open up on the Caribbean side. And um, it's really northern Caribbean towards the border of Nicaragua, and it's it's a big river mouth that dumps out there. And we pretty much target them outside the the mouth and behind the breakers. So those fish are coming up in the river mouth really just to feed. You know, they're there year-round. It's not a migratory scenario. Um, so we base our seasons just around the weather, mm-hmm. um, the months that are going to give us the best weather. Because um, if you've got big seas getting out of that river mouth and the center console is a nightmare. Um, yeah. It's been silted in a lot from sediment, so it's a shallow, shallow river mouth. And you could easily get a boat stuck in there if, if it's not the right condition. So <laughs> going when it's right is good. And then the tarpon fishing is dark water but that dark muddy water sort of sits up top and then you have this gin clear caribbean water below it and sometimes we'll be catching fish in 80 feet of water mm-hmm. you know and fighting a tarpon in 80 feet of water is a nightmare just so you know um yeah. <laughs> fighting a tarpon yeah, straight down <laughs> straight down i mean it's going to go across and it's going to it's going to go down and it's a pain in the butt but we use big flies sinking lines um, it's very unconventional. Sometimes you'll just be dredging, like right behind the breaker, and you'll see rollers all over the place, fish busting here and there. And then sometimes you'll see them, you know, schools of 200 fish doing cartwheels, yeah, like like a pot of tuna. And at that point, you know, it's common in those scenarios for everyone on the boat to have a fish on at the same time. Like we've hooked three, four tarpon at the same time, and it's just ridiculous. Wow, it's not. It's not ideal, put it out. <laughs> yeah. But it's fun. But it's fun, yeah. And it's different, you know. Like, tarpon fish in Florida has its its beautiful aspects. You know, the, the clear water and your, the fish coming from a few hundred yards out. And, you know, that's not going to happen in Costa Rica. But some other stuff that is really cool will happen instead, I guess. In For this sure. Place, it, yeah. With, with the water being dirty, are you, like, throwing bigger, darker Massive flies? Massive flies. Yeah, yeah, like, I'll throw... You know, four-aught to six-aught hooks, big hooks, and big, big flies, eight to eight inches long sometimes. Um, and really just something to create a big silhouette. They're eating yeah. a lot of big mullet and a lot of stuff like that. And then it's the opposite. Some, I mean, you could throw a, a three- or four-inch fly if you wanted to, but, you know, I like the idea of putting half a chicken in there and <laughs> sinking it. But, you know, it just it's got a different vibe to it, and they like eating them, so that's how I roll. Yeah, t- tell me about the infrastructure, like with with being down there and, and at times having your family down there. What's the infrastructure look like? Because obviously it's not just the fishery that's different; it's the the entire oh, certainly, system. yeah, yeah. I mean, co- there's no comparing Costa Rica's. I mean, as a country to, to anything we have here stateside, but it's um, it's a small country to be honest. Like it's like the size of West Virginia, the whole thing, but it's super dense and and mountainous. So like. Between the coasts, you just have this massive mountain range, and then out where we tarpon fish, there's nothing. I mean, it's it's pure jungle. Um, you're not gonna once you get out there, you're out there. You can't drive there. You gotta kind of drive to a river and take a boat out to it, and then the place we stay. I mean, you're really going from that place out to the to the ocean, and then 
if you can't get out, we go fish lagoons and stuff for, you know, little tropical panfish species or machaca, which is like a piranha species, cousin to the piranha. Sick. <laughs> and we just fish all these weird stuff in the lagoons. And, and tarpon will be back there too, but the, the tarpon in the lagoons are a lot trickier to get than mm-hmm. than when they're oceanside. Like oceanside, they're there just to eat. And it, it's pretty clear, like, mm-hmm. by the activity you see on the surface that the fish are there to eat as much as they can. Yeah. So tell me, how did you first hear about Costa Rica? Like, out of all the places that you could – if if you wanted to get up and move somewhere, why, why go there? Yeah, we had, we had met a girl that lived down there and sort of said she would host us to see and check it out. And then the doors just opened for us to move there, me and my wife and some friends of mine. And, and it's a whole nother deal, obviously, when you're down there. If you're down there running around as a bachelor, that's one thing. When you're in Central America with a wife and kids, it's another scenario. So finding a way to make it work that was going to be sustainable is key. And also, like not having plan b's i think sometimes we give ourselves like plan b's and c's when we shouldn't and Mm. and like if i had the option to to bail out maybe i would have but it just was never an option Mm. um and you know recently three months ago i did move back to central florida and who knows how long that's even gonna last um because i'll still be guiding tarpon in costa rica still be doing a bunch of freelance media stuff all over the place so Mm. it's hard to envision what next year is going to bring, you know, but it's like, once I moved there, I knew, okay, I'm going to make this work and I'm going to stick it out. And that was the best because not a lot happens in the first year you're anywhere. Like, but once you're in a place for a while and you start knowing people and people start knowing you and I got connected with some really good guys, the fly fishing industry is really tight down there. And we've got a really good conservation organization based on fly fishing down there. That's uh, called craft. That's led by a guy, Peter Gorinsky, who's um, actually, I got a stunning interview from him for the F3T film I put together. Mm-hmm. And uh, he kind of runs that organization with the help of some of the other buddies. And it's just become, it takes time to get plugged in a community like that. You know, if you show up someplace and you don't give it time, you're not doing the place justice. So I think that was key for Costa Rica as well, was just staying there and telling myself, we're going to make something work out. And, and it did, you know, praise God. Yeah. Well, there, <laughs> Could have went a different direction, I guess. It reminds me of that old tale that, you know, I don't I don't know if it's real or not, but about the, <laughs> the group of guys who have the ships and they're going in to fight a battle, and the, the captain says, burn all of our ships. And yeah. the crew says, why burn our ships? And he said, because we're going home in theirs. And yeah, it's kind yeah. of like, you know, like there's no going home, and, and you know, this is all we – this is it. This and is it, yeah. I'm curious, like, what advice you would give to somebody who's maybe, like, they're in this kind of – this safety net, this comfort zone in life, and maybe they have kids, maybe they have a wife, maybe they have bills, whatever, yeah. and they're just trying to think, like, what what advice would you give them on, on making a jump like that? Well, honestly, like – I was married. I mean, and for me, nothing in my life would have even be what it is, even even remotely close to what it is without the support of my wife being an absolute champion. Mm-hmm. Everyone in my life knows that. They're like, you're a basket case. Your wife clearly holds everything together. And that's definitely true for me. But um, I think a motto that I came up with is, is I could be broke anywhere. You know, like you could be broke mm-hmm. in your hometown you can move to a dream destination and be broke there, you know, but if you have a vision for, you know, or a direction that you're chasing, I think a lot of times people look at it 
financially first and say this is impossible. And it may be at first like to thrive, but I think sometimes surviving is thriving, I guess, depending on what your perception is. Like <laughs> if I'm, if I'm getting by and my kids are fed and my wife's happy, um, and I'm doing what I love and I'm creating something cool and something that blesses other people and myself, I think that's, that's thriving in my mind. Um, and so perception's huge. Like if you don't have the right perception about the direction you're going, especially something like moving to a third world or, you know, a Central American country uh, on a whim, then it's going to be tough and you're probably not going to make it. So, you know, not, I'm not saying I have low expectations. It sounds bad <laughs> if I was like, have no expectations. But um, definitely having the right perception and, and being okay going through the struggle to, to make something awesome happen uh, is important for sure and crucial actually. Because I could have bailed out the type of struggles I went through in six years in Costa Rica. You know, if I didn't, if I wasn't headstrong about it, none of the awesome stuff in my life happening right now would have would have been going on. So, in speaking of troubles and, and struggles, you know, there's a way in which we we often don't want to go into things because we're afraid to leave our comfort zone. But when we get yeah, outside certainly. of our comfort zone, a lot of times, not only do we get the reward of of getting to experience new things and go to new places, but often it's outside our comfort zones that we're shaped the most. That's true. Yeah. What for you, when you look back at six years in Costa Rica and being outside your comfort zone and going through struggles, what things kind of got sharpened or shaped in you from that? I mean, everything dude. like my, my relationship first off with, with my wife is, you know, has grown so much and just, I guess, relationships with friends too. Um, and just the va valuing, valuing things maybe that sometimes I took for granted, just like the ease of, of being able to go see my, you know, easy things, going to see certain friends, seeing family. Um, I guess forced to appreciate the things that were right in front of me and and stepping away right gives a different perspective so when i stepped away from the states and, and into costa rica with a mindset of i'm going to be here for a while um your perception on all those things back home and how you were doing things or how i was doing things changed and so perception grew um relationship in, in what grew. Ways did it change i changed because i was kind of put in this position right where it was like sink or swim so it was um starting the fly business and saying i had this has to work um and digging in i think harder than i would have dug in so persistence perception and relationship all grew and deepened in 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 so many in every kind of way because you're in you're not in a corner but i was like in this place of i'm going this direction and and any ob obstacle that gets in my way is just going to be viewed as an obstacle that I could either jump over, go around, or dig under, but I'm going to get on the other side of it. Yeah. You know, and I think when you're headstrong like that, uh, like I said, and you don't have plan B's and C's, then you push through things and 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 having the, the drive to do that um, is important. So it, it really taught me just to stick it out. And, and and go through go through stuff that that's gonna stretch you in every way. Like financially, like I said, you could be broke anywhere. There were times where I was flat broke down there and trying to talk to the wife about, yeah, I'm just gonna sell these flies. It's like, man, and not knowing, you know, being okay not knowing 
is something I've learned. Like you talk to me right now about what's happening after next, like next year. I don't know. And I think a lot of times we want to plan th- over plan and like, know this is where I'm going to have my money six months from now. This is where I'm going to have my job six months from now. This is where, and I guess it's okay to try and forecast your life because we all do it and we want to, we want to have a direction. Um, but at the end of the day, I'll tell you, dude, I don't, I don't know. And I try not to look past like a few weeks in my life. I'm very, I'm not narrow minded, but I'm very short sighted in that respect. Like I know what's happening two weeks from now. And, and that's where I, where I put almost all of my focus because everything outside, especially post COVID and all this COVID is a whole nother story. I don't know how that affected my international businesses, but definitely thinking, okay, whatever's planned six months from now could be completely different when I get there. So let's focus on what I have control over in the next few weeks. And as long as I'm doing that right and my short game's good, then I'm going to come out on top. I think that's true, especially for today's world with things changing so much. No, I think that's I think that's really helpful. I was curious, too, because sometimes you you meet people who are like Christian missionaries, for mm-hmm. instance, and they live in these these other countries and then they come back to the States and they have like a culture shock or they yeah. have... They have just because they've been around a a totally different culture with different values and different qualities of life, you know, and then they come back and it's like, you know, you talked about having a different perspective. I'm curious for you, like moving back to stateside, like what things do you think maybe we get numb to that that really aren't healthy or things that you feel like should be avoided? (laughs) The list is so long. Uh, The list is so long. I mean, it's. I'm blown away by things like every time I fly in, we'll say from San Jose to Orlando and I get on an interstate and I drive two hours directly to Crystal River, the inf- the infrastructure and ease of transport is something that blows me away. Even driving my little van up to meet you here, it was like, this is an awesome road. You know, and I'd driven that road a bunch in my life and I never thought how awesome it was. And it is awesome. It's amazing mm. that I could just getting a vehicle and a pier over here in a few hours so easily um and then food man like the other day (laughs) my wife's sick and and i was working this was two days ago and she just ordered groceries to the house with her phone and i was like come on you know i mean there's just ordinary things like that, that that are mundane that when you're in a in central america the the ultra wealthy people can do now but, you know, to go get groceries would be a six-hour deal for me to get off the mountain, go to town, hit a farmer's market, get produce, find a – hit the butcher, you know, hit the – it's like – and that that's all valuable and cool in itself, you know. It, that's a cool process for sure. And But I think a, a, one of the biggest values I, I've found is is not – I would, I would used to do things like that and I'd be rushed feeling like, wow, this is taking forever. Like, I hate this. Why, why can't we just get it done faster? And being able to slow down is something that I really learned down there is just slow down, focus on what's in front of you. And, and actually my mom hates my little van because it tops out at 55 pretty much. But I love it about that. Even driving over here, dude, I was on 19 and people are flying by me in the left-hand lane, Looking and I'm just, yeah, like, what are you doing? And and I'm going 55, and they're going 80, and I'm and I'm going, I love this. Like, I love that I'm forced to slow down right now mm-hmm. and and take life in because it's, 
dude, every second's just ticking away from us. And it's like being having things in your life that are forced you to slow down, like living in a third world country and having everything around you move slower, forcibly, you know, is good. And I think having those types of things in our life too, whether it's a vehicle or whether it's, you know, a morning routine or an, or an evening routine or something that you get going that, that forces you to slow things down and get out of the rat race for a second, even if it's just mentally, is is been a huge huge blessing for me for sure tie this for me to tie this for me to how you've evolved and and grown as an angler too oh man it's the fishing we did in costa rica and being it's so diverse man like rivers oceans beaches deep deep rivers to jungle streams like you know it's everything from trout to billfish there so it was the ultimate you know testing ground for for everything I'd say except sight fishing, like flats fishing, um, but that was something I grew up doing, so I had those skills. And, and immediately when I started fly fishing was in Indian River, Mosquito Lagoon, so that was like the first thing I started doing was targeting like flats fish. So every other skill that can be built from blue water to trout fishing can be done in Costa Rica. And, and so it just now, I mean, you see me out there like, I could cast well, mm-hmm. and and I I think that was definitely put on the fast track. Thanks, <laughs> thanks yeah. to the diversity of Costa Rica for sure. Um, what what advice would you give to somebody who's young and and is trying to be a better caster, be a better angler, be better at you know kind of learning fisheries and learning new things? Like, what's kind of your your big takeaways of this is kind of what you need if you want to be successful in, in fishing? Yeah, I think. You know, spending, not being scared to spend the time uh, to learn it right and and reach out to people too. Like, uh, and I know like we, we talked about this, like not everyone in the industry is, is the most friendly person, but I think if you could find a neighbor or a friend or, or someone that at school or wherever it is that does it and having friends in the, in the same passion um, and even sports, like growing up, man, you played sports, so did I, it's way better and, and you learn way faster when you're around people that care about it. So Finding some type of community, which through the internet, I think is a lot easier than it was back in the day, Yeah, is important. And then just getting out there and casting in, in a diversity of situations. Like when you're going to be, if you're going to be on the flats doing any of this inshore saltwater stuff, you don't cast in the backyard on the windy day, not the calm day. You know, there's no sense in casting in, in a calm day because you're going to get out on the, on the water and it's going to be blowing or it, the fish is going to show up at the wrong angle and you're at the backhand. You know, so I think putting just con- continuing to test yourself and learn from from the right people, and it's just those two things: learning the right things and practicing the right things. You know. Yeah. No. I and I think just to even think about the past couple of years for me, being willing to say yes to opportunities when you finally get an opportunity, like you know, you drove up here, camped overnight in your van in <laughs> yeah. the parking lot. Yeah, and, it was awesome. You know, and <laughs> uh, you know, and you've you've actually one you you've actually made decisions in your life to set yourself up to be able to say yes to opportunities sure like that's having, important yeah. like having a van so now you don't have to pay for a hotel mm-hmm. room or, or or crash at somebody's house like you have that flexibility and freedom so it's not like it just happened you know? no it doesn't i think cultivating you you know and that's where having having at least a a direction or a vision mm-hmm. is important like definitely important and and especially if you're going to use fly fishing as an industry like i have you know it's it's what i do i'm either guiding people to fish taking photos of people fishing 
you know, creating the, the flies that are going to, you know, get per someone that, that awesome fish of a lifetime, you know, like everything I do is around it. And that's, that's also part of, I think, why my growth in, in is because I'm playing a whole bunch of directions in the same industry. Yeah. You know, I'm not just tying flies. If I was just tying flies, we probably wouldn't be talking, you know? Yeah. And in, in setting yourself up, like early on for me, the, I would use my wife's Honda CRV, 2004 Honda CRV to, to drive to interviews and would pack peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And, you know, (laughs) but I was like, how do I, instead of sitting around saying, man, it would be nice to be a trust fund baby so Mm -hmm. that I could go do podcasts. I was like, I actually asked the question of like, how can I try to better set up my life for, for being able to try to chase these opportunities down and, and to be able to say yes. And for my wife and I, like, there's just a lot of things that we, we don't spend money on like Certainly. almost all of our furniture has been given to us and it's yeah. nice but in 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 my wife just doesn't really like jewelry which is a huge blessing huge you know? blessing but dude. same i have yeah. that same blessing so we just don't spend <laughs> very much money at all, at all on yeah. clothes because it's not that important to us right. and i think that's i meet a lot of people who are young and they're like man it would be great to be able to go and to learn from people and fish with people and then you'll say hey man well let's go friday oh i can't right well, why can't you, mm-hmm. you know, like, and sometimes there's a good reason, but I think that one of the commonalities that I've seen, whether it's like, Hey, the only way that I could fish the amount that I want to fish is if I guide. So I guide or, right, right. or it's, and it gets even more interesting with people who don't full-time guide and have oriented their life and set their life up to be able to say yes. And I, I think to me, that's really cool with, with the van. Cause yeah, the van goes really slow. It's, very small it's small dude yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah it's not a big person it looks fan. bigger in pictures <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no it's definitely small yeah um but you got this van that lets you it's a tool to mm-hmm. be able to do what you love and learn and and i think that that's something that people can think about is actually to ask that question in their life like if you want to fish more then like stop making excuses and ask yourself how can i do it yeah and it's hard it's hard like when i for instance like I don't come from money. I don't. I don't know when I've ever had it. To be completely honest, but I don't. That has never been a, a deterrent for me. Like for instance, I the first two years I fly fished Mosquito Lagoon all by myself. I had an old sit inside kayak. Like called I think it was called Sundance or something. It was like a who knows where it was from, and I would. It was a sit inside one. You know. And I would not like the fishing ones today with the casting decks and all this stuff. Like I would, I would kneel down on top of it with a five weight TFO that I bought from Bass Pro with freshwater line on it. And I was slaying redfish Mm -hmm. and snook and tarpon by myself, no fancy boat. I mean, it helped that I grew up in paddlecraft for sure, but you know, I didn't have nothing, and, and I was still able to learn and ex- and have all these great experiences, and I think that's important, too. You know, work within your means uh, towards something. You, you're not going to go from zero to hero in this thing. You know, you're not going to go out there and buy, you know, a one a, a freaking triple zero to a 12-weight and go catch every fish known to man in your first year of fly fishing. I think focusing on what's immediately in front of you mm-hmm and using the means in which you have to do it is a completely reasonable way to enter fly fishing. That's the way I did it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and obviously now that I'm plugged in and I, I know a lot of people, it's opportunities like this or opportunities to go somewhere, record or Vance or those things come because 
first of all, I've, I've been headstrong about this for yeah. a long time, you know, and, and a lot of people will look at me maybe and be like, oh, this guy comes from whatever, but man, you, and you, you never see the, the, the blood, sweat and tears people put into things. Yeah. You know, you just don't. And, and people don't see it with me sometimes, but it is what it is. Yeah. And I think people don't see, I think that it's interesting because from my experience, the past couple of years meeting people and doing interviews, the people who are the fishiest and fish the most, and I think, think have really got that lifestyle that so many people want they don't have it because of the money they yeah. have it because of what they are willing to not have no and that's the true sacrifices yeah. Yeah. they're willing to make like because yeah, i mean you saw me eating peanut butter roll-ups yeah. on you know like and that's what i'll eat for the next three days you know like yeah and it, there's a lot of people that have money that they have all the stuff but they don't actually fish that much that's the other side you do see that a lot and i think what what that is is the the industry is so oversaturated now with media and i granted, granted i'm a part of that you yeah. could say problem if you will but you know it does bring a consumer oriented mindset to the industry or uh you know so people they buy all this stuff they want to look the part and then maybe they get into it and it's really not for them but then they've just spent 15 grand on rods and reels so they kind of want to be yeah. a part of it and it's i think if it's Again, for me, I fished my whole life. I don't, I will not, I'll fish until I die. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and, but not everyone in the industry is that way. Yeah. So you're the second person I think that I've interviewed that is really into paddleboard fishing. Mm -hmm. The, the first person I interviewed, Drew Chacon, who's also a yeah. fly tire. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, he also <laughs> wrote a book on, Drew wrote a, a great book on like how to fly fish on a standard yeah, paddleboard, yeah. which is cool because I really like, I've grown to really like these like super um, specific books because they're like, they really, you know, deep dive into this right. stuff. Um, tell me about like how being a paddleboard fisherman has helped you as an all around angler instrument i mean it's it's instrumental like when you're again like a paddleboard is something that makes you slow down like you're not going to whip around like you do in a skiff mm -hmm. and so it puts limitations on you and i think working ar around the limitations in your life no matter what the scenario it's fly fishing or if it's home life or it's business when you have limitations like like i said and you're headstrong that's just an obstacle that you're going to get around and learn learn how to maneuver around so when you're in a paddleboard you're limited on speed you're limited on range from where you launch you're limited on your visibility you're lower to the water than you are in a casting deck of a skiff um you're forced to to be like okay i'm gonna go slow uh -huh. like you're in my van now like you just went from being in a yeah. ferrari and now you're in my van <laughs> like you're forced to slow down and and when you do that Man, like I was telling you the other day, I was spooking fish five feet from the front of my board sometimes, you know, like you're able to get close. You're able, if you're, if once you get your balance and you're not putting off yeah. a bunch of vibration, um, it's a great tool to get through in saltwater stuff for rivers. Um, yeah. and Drew's again, Drew's, Drew's real tight with the, the guys from boat boards, which, which I am as well. And, and those, any of their paddle craft is, is a joy to be on. So it's like having something that's, that's a quality paddleboard that's going to be able to cover water. Like I told you the other day, I'm like, I'll paddle 12 miles. Like, yeah. And I can, but having, having that quality of gear to get out there is, is important. You know, you're not going to do that on a, on something from price Mart or whatever it is, Walmart or whatever you guys shot at. It's like yeah. having the right gear is good, but the paddle paddleboard fishing for me, it's like, it's like bow hunting too, right? When you bow hunt, 
you put limit you could go out there with a gun and shoot the deer at 200 yards but when you put limitations on yourself you have to be stealthy you have to be accurate and it's like that especially fly fishing from the paddleboard um you're not going to have shot number two yeah you know like typically you're going to need to get it done so it's interesting because you talked about like you don't have all these other things to worry about and so you know when when you're in a skiff of course like you can cover a lot more ground you have higher elevation you you there's obviously a lot of other things that you can do and, and think about and focus on. It's interesting, like that you said the word focus around it. I'm, I'm curious, like when you go out on a paddleboard, what are the things that you're really focusing on that matter the most there? Man, like being quiet and not being quiet um, and, and not putting off any type of vibration. Like a lot of the times, <clears throat> I mean, I'll fish the whole, the whole front of my board is clean. There's no, all my gear is right behind me. All that's in front of me is my rod. And, if I could be on that thing for 10 hours in a day and be laser focused, like mentally on looking for a redfish and you're just moving super slow, you're constantly gazing at every little movement and where I, where I fish the most, like crystal river area, we have gin clear flats. So that's super beneficial, obviously for sight yeah. fishing. And, and you just get in this hyper, I do at least I get in this hyper focused zone to where I know, and at this point, it's all second nature, right? It's like, I don't think when I'm out there about my actions, I'm just doing it. It's like second nature to me. So um, I see a fish, you have to know how to bend down and get your rod without putting out a bunch of shock waves. You know, if you just bend over and shake the boat a bunch, that fish is gone because you're only 30 feet from the thing. Yeah. Um, you're not typically hitting fish at 80 feet. Like you're, you're 30 to 40 is is what you're working with you know when you're yeah. on a paddleboard yeah it's interesting like I, I try to keep my my skiff set up really simple because a lot of the guys that i fish with that i enjoyed the most and i felt like were really um i don't know that that i was like wow like this is the type of angler and fisherman that i want to be they ran really simple setups and i think mm-hmm. it allows you to actually like you have more mental energy focused on seeing fish approaching fish totally. all of that and it's interesting because it's kind of like the the mindset that's that's popular you know steve jobs famously wore like the same shirt all the time and and what they talk about is like you know clutter decision fatigue a bunch of things like that actually behind you know it's kind of like a computer like behind the scenes it's like bogging down your operating system Mm. do you feel like when you go out on a skiff because you're a paddleboard that that's what you do a lot of do you feel like that is an advantage to you because of that I definitely feel like I'm I'm very dangerous on the front of any pulling skiff. Like if if I'm being pulled to a fish and I have nothing to think about except making the cast, I could typically get it done. Yeah. Um, and I think yes, part of that is because when I'm pad- when I'm paddling myself on a paddleboard, I have to spot a fish, quietly get the paddle down, pick up my rod, start false casting. Whereas when you spot when I, when someone's controlling the boat and all of that and all you're thinking about is the cast you know it just seems very easy to me mm-hmm. a lot more easy than than when i'm on that paddle craft and everything's in my hand yeah. um, and i and i think definitely having done it so much from paddle craft um has just 
got me to the point where, yeah, I could be on the front of a skiff and be very confident that I'm going to hit that fish. Like (laughs) if I could see it and it's not spooked, I'm going to feed it, (laughs) you know? And you made great shots today. And I mean, yeah. Yeah. When it works out, it works out. Yeah. And I think too, like, it's like, I feel like if you can get it done on a paddleboard, you can get it done on anything. I think that's very true. Yeah. Especially in in the sight fishing world, like shallow water. If you could do it on a paddleboard, you're going to be just fine on the front of a boat. There's no doubt. One of the things I enjoy about you is I think that like you, you, you definitely have a way of, you're not a huge planner, but you kind of know what, what matters the most to you, you know, Certainly, like, yeah. so that's, there, it's kind of like almost like, you know, you still have a North star, you still have like a guiding direction you're going, but you're focused predominantly on what's right in front of you. And that's where all the hazards in life are. And that's where all, a lot of the good things are right in front of you. Or yeah. I think that's well said, things. but, um, you know, I know for you, an important part of what shapes the way that you think about things, including fishing and family is your faith. Certainly, I'm curious, yeah. like, just could you share a little bit more about how, as being a person of faith, you feel like that influences you as, as a, an angler, a worker, photographer, videographer, etc. Yeah, totally. I mean, in business, it's all about doing right by people. I mean, you can't, in, in my world, it's like, as a Christian man in, in 2022, which is like a nightmare of a place to be for a Christian man, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it's always making sure that number one, I'm thankful for, for whatever I have, you know, I'm, I'm content in a tent, if you will. And, and I think contentment, you, you're not going to, if you don't have contentment as a launching pad, you're probably never going to be happy in life, no matter what direction you launch into, because being content when you start and like i said i I could be broke anywhere like that that type of mindset yeah i think is a very good um mindset for for a man of faith or or someone who's god oriented and trying to find out what god has for them because you know you should be content with with whether you're rich or you're poor however it's going to work out it's going to work out and i think when when you have something like me knowing when i went to costa rica that god's going to do something for me that i even though I don't see the end of it, that it's going to work out. So I'm going to go headstrong at it. I'm going to go through the struggles because I know this is a scenario that's bigger than me. Life's bigger than all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think accepting that, but also having, like you said, like a North Star or having having faith in a, in a, in a God that loves me and is going to point me and my family in the right direction and never leave me, that's a huge uh, advantage. In business, it's a huge advantage in life. Um, and that's obviously any decision I make. My decision to go to Costa Rica was for that. My decision to come back was for that and everything I do, man. But being thankful and being content are the two main things and doing right by others, you know. That's so good. It's it's funny you say that too because one of the most popular Bible verses is Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, it strengthens yeah. me. And it's funny because that's like an iconic sports thing. Certainly, like, yeah. I can make Thanks, the, Tim Tebow. But if you, if you actually like read what is happening around that in the letter of Philippians, Paul's actually talking about contentment. And sure. he actually is talking about whether in, in poverty or whether in, in wealth, mm-hmm. whether he's imprisoned or not, he's saying, I... I can do all things. Right. And, and if you actually look at it, he's not saying I can do all things like get a promotion, <laughs> get a car. He's saying I can be content in life. And I think that really deep down, you know, like that's what we're being sold is, you know, you talked about the industry being oversaturated. Like if, if only I had the right skiff, the right, right rod, right. the right clothes, the right look, my body was the right weight. 
all, et cetera, whatever the thing is, like you're constantly being sold, hey, you're one thing away from yeah, being happy right. by our thing. Right. And I think that like deep down what people really want is is to, just to, to talk about what you said earlier, to slow down and look at, you know, look at all these amazing things around you right now, no matter what circumstance you're in and enjoy them and, and try to actually maybe put things in life that are going to slow you down. I think that's, I think whether that's a, uh, a creepy little van, <laughs> a creepy little van, a little candy van, yeah. <laughs> or it's a, or or it's a paddleboard, or it's like, hey, stop worrying about having the perfect skiff and go go buy a two hundred dollar kayak right. from Walmart and just right. get on the water and see what happens. Yeah, losing. I think a lot of people are in it for all different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. You get into things for all different reasons. Um, and and an oversaturated media side of fly fishing has definitely got a lot of people into mm-hmm. fly fishing that probably never would have gotten into it. And then that just is what it is, whether it's a, from a consumer standpoint or from, hey, this looks cool standpoint. Um, but I think have getting into it, into something with the right mindset and, and trying to keep that mindset and how, obviously not having it be something shallow like how I look or mm-hmm. the the – um, consumer aspect of things like I can only go fishing if I have this certain yeah. line because I won't fish that line. It's like, man, <laughs> don't worry about that stuff, you know. And that stuff again, like, comes and goes. Like, you're talking about your boat, like, you got it, man. Like, mm-hmm. like, use it for what it is. And yeah, it's a great tool, you know, and appreciate it and use the hell out of it. Um, yeah, but if it was a aluminum canoe, I'd be out there paddling it with you. Like, I <laughs> yeah. don't. You know, it's great to have awesome gear because they're tools we could use to appreciate the surroundings. But there's people that'll never have that boat, you know. And I and I fish my I fish my whole life, and I continue to fish off paddlecraft because I think it's it does show people that with the minimal things you can get out and do all these awesome things. Like yeah, you, it, it's within your means is is important, but being in it for the right reasons is important too. That's you know? good. If you're ready, I got some rapid fire questions. Hit me. Here and Give it to me. We got a lot of stuff. All right, so <laughs> you're I'm sitting down with yet an, another person who's a professional fly tire, and that's a big part of your business. That's right. There's a lot of things that don't matter with flies. Sure. I'm curious to you, like, what are the big bullet point things that actually matter with flies? Mm-hmm. So in for inshore saltwater or in general? I mean, really, silhouette and sink rate. Mm-hmm. That's all you really need to worry about. Like, I could take that fly today – and because of the way it's shaped, if I mm-hmm. my stripping pattern, I could strip it like a bait fish, and a fish will think it's a bait fish. Mm-hmm. Or I could strip it like a shrimp, and they're gonna think it's a shrimp. So weight is important, and then silhouette. When when you got into fly tying, in what way did that impact the way that that you fly fished? Huge. I mean, when you're, it's like finding out that deer like acorns makes you think differently about setting your stand in smoke trees. You know, like when you start finding out what fish eat, um, and you're making the food for that you're about to feed to them. Um, you really understand where you need to be looking for certain fish if they're eating certain things Mm -hmm. and, um, and how you need to deliver that to them, you know, like stripping pattern, et cetera, et cetera, where the cast needs to be, um, and how that fly needs to be presented. So tying flies, it's a great way to, to get insight on, Mm-hmm. on the fish's uh, behavior when you're going to feed it because he's going to chase a bait fish a lot different than he's going to chase a shrimp or a crab. As a father, 
who has a kid, I'm curious, that's obviously a life altering thing as you look back at (laughs) becoming a father and and raising a kid. In what ways has that impacted you? Uh, Huge, man. Huge. Like obviously having other eyes on you is huge. Um, And then my kids grew up in another country, you know, so having raised kids in Central America, it's like no televisions. It was super low key, um, bilingual, um, not your typical like Florida boy experience. Like he's here now and he's mm. having like a, a heyday with it. He thinks his school's the best school in the world. The all the, the neighborhood's <laughs> super the cool, food? but yeah. But my kid's super like my the six, cafeteria lady yeah. loves him. He's like, Oh, you oh guys yeah, are killing he it. thinks he's in like Golden Corral every yeah. day. And he's like, but he told me we were just in Tennessee last week and we got home. I was putting in bed last night. And he's like, Dad, you know what? He's like, he's like, you know. I'm a mountain kid a lot more than I am a neighborhood kid. And I was like, you know, me too, son. I'm like, I'm, I like the mountains a lot more than I like this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having kids is complex, knowing that there's eyes on me all the time. But both of my kids will come and, and sit on my lap and tie flies with me. And they're, they're super interested in that stuff too. So hey, it's just cool. It's super cool for sure. When you look back at your life, what do you think has helped you the most with your casting? You're saying I'm a good caster? Yeah, you're a good caster. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like I said, being being in bad situations, there's nothing that's going to help you more than adversity. And when you're, especially in fly casting, mm-hmm. like if you're scared to go out on the windy day, like you're not going to yeah. ever be able to cast in that windy day. So mm-hmm. fortunately, I've, I've had, you can call it fortune, I've had the ability to be in some really nasty positions and, and yeah. having to force myself to get together. So, um with fly casting, it's all about tech, knowing the technique, like learning the how to double haul per se, but then being out on the flat in a windy day and making it happen, yeah. for sure. So obviously, we we could uh, sit here all day and, and beat a dead horse <laughs> on the um, dangers of social media, oh my God. which is the last thing I want to talk about on this yeah. podcast because we've covered it well. I'm curious, as a content creator who mm-hmm. makes videos and photos, if you had to make a case for social media. A case for social media. A case for social yeah. media. With mm. all the – don't worry about disclaimers. Just sure, what, what's sure. your case for social <laughs> media? What's the good? My The good about social media is, is connecting people within – a light a same the same likeness okay no matter what it is for us it's fly fishing or it's media or it's fishing in general mm-hmm. right but it's connected people like like never before and that can be used for good or evil but the good side of it is that people are connected and yeah. it doesn't matter if you love rocks like you can get online and find rock communities you know like people that freaking <laughs> love rocks yeah and so so that's a great aspect i talked about how the first few years i started fly fishing i couldn't find that community mm-hmm. you know and i wasn't heavy on social media then um, but now these kids, man, they can get online. Like I, I went to church the other day, uh, in Beverly Hills, Florida, over there where I just moved, and and this kid's like, "Are oh, you Jesse Mills from YouTube?" I'm like, "Never seen this, yeah, sixteen year old kid before." Um, and turns out there's like three or four younger dudes there that really look up to me, and and it's it's allowed me to connect with them, and hopefully we can have some sort of, you know, community based relationship around fly fishing that wouldn't have happened without social media so i think the connection is number one i mean connecting people with like minds that's number one and it does a great job at that surrounded by a bunch of other bs 
Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, it's cool because we were talking about that today that like, you know, there's people that I meet that, you know, along the way that they, they're just not that interested in developing like a, a big friendship with me. And that's yeah, fine. Yeah. Like that's, that, that's, <laughs> it really is. But you know, like along the way you meet people who like, you're like, wow, this person enjoys the community like yeah and, and yeah. really to me like the peak of that i think is really vince you know like we could call oh, it, instead dude. of calling it skinny water culture we could call it skinny water community yeah he yeah. really has built a great group of people him and chase uh, that that are like-minded for you a, as somebody who you're still young but you've sure. definitely been able to get a lot of experience you've been able to um grow as an angler like what do you hope your role is in, in that community um definitely having more of an, an open door policy with you could say followers or people that that know me from the industry or from media you know i got an open door policy man i try and do the best i can to to kind of yeah i, I guess be an open door for people mm -hmm. to walk through because especially having that a rough ride getting into it i know what it's like being on the outside and i think there's a lot of a good people that could benefit the industry and steer it in the right direction that um otherwise would be scared off so I, I guess just being open and honest with people and being down to earth and not not ever getting on a high horse is really the best thing i could do and and then just stay headstrong about my direction for somebody who wants to buy a paddle board <laughs> what do you recommend yeah i mean for fishing the the rackham that boat makes in my opinion is the pinnacle um but there's a lot of good like kayak paddleboard crossover type stuff out there the industry again that's another one that's just blown up like paddlecraft is insane right now um most of the fishing kayaks you could stand up and paddle like a paddleboard so like there's a lot of crossover material for people that are kayakers that might want to get into paddleboarding and then um but yeah nothing beats the boat rack them mm -hmm. and then the hd from boatboards too is killer they have uh i have three of the hd inflatable ones in costa rica that we've used for four years and beat the piss out of so like the inflatable ones are super durable you can throw it in the trunk of a car you can store it in an apartment um so i think definitely for people that might be in an urban environment uh and not have the ability to store like a paddle craft you know yeah, in their yeah. living room just those inflatable ones are super durable and, and it'll give you access to throw it in the trunk of your car and drive into a you know a pond or a coast and and doing exactly what i'm doing <laughs> to be completely honest <laughs> my my last question is if you could put one thing on a billboard and everybody had oh, to God. see it what would it be <sighs> on a billboard on an instagram sponsored ad on an instagram sponsored billboard dude honestly just just slow down the, the word slow down and slow down and think we'll put it that way i think we run through life so much going super fast and not thinking so i think if we just slowed down a bit and thought about our own existence and then the the people around us we'd be better off so slow down and think would be a huge thing to have if, as long as people would read it and then also listen to it which we, no one does that with billboards <laughs> so or ads for that matter well i, I appreciate your time man and uh it's been great to sit down and get to know a little bit more of your story i look forward to fishing together more and and thanks for just uh coming out and hanging out today no definitely man it was a pleasure definitely a pleasure same to you meeting you and, and being able to get out there and catch fish always uh something i enjoy you know that Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. 
please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. fish are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.